0: Welcome
1: to Campfire Fireside Chats. This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Welcome, campers, to this week's Fireside Chat. This week, we had the honor of chatting with professional folklorist Luke Greensmith. He's a horror writer, a video game developer, and the mastermind behind the Luke Lore podcast. We discussed his unique upbringing in the UK, really just trying to figure out where his fascinations for horror and fantasy and folklore come from. Personally, I'm just... Kind of, it was like a mirror of myself. I'm... You know, these talks... You learn about yourself learning about others, and this was a big one for me. I mean, this guy's completely fascinating. He's a font of knowledge when it comes to folklore, and I just had a brilliant time getting to know him. I cannot wait, personally, to have him back to talk about some of the wild stories he's come across while studying this stuff. So go and support everything that Luke does. You both deserve it. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this fireside chat with Luke Greensmith Alright, Luke Greensmith First off, I just want to thank you for taking the time to be on the show Not a problem at all Awesome I'm super excited to have you on I know we've had some mutual friends for a while now and you um, contributed last year to our um, Strange Semantics Yeah, that was
0: a fascinating project
1: Yeah, I'm and your contribution to it was awesome. I love that it was because your specialty is a little different than a lot of the other people that were involved. It was really cool to get, you know, like you described earlier off mic, you're like it's sort of a niche within a niche. Yeah. So it was really cool to get a glimpse of the semantics used in that area as well.
0: Yeah. Um, I do like come at it from a strange angle. And it's interesting how that still fits within the community because i can turn up anywhere and contribute but i'm also not like doing what everyone else is doing per se so it's fun it's interesting
1: yeah it's cuz it feels almost some sometimes it feels like a fresh take on on similar situations but it's also just especially for people like me who love the history of the history involved in Fortiana in in all this stuff um cuz the folklore has so much to do with the you know with the history behind all of a lot of the the things that people are discussing now
0: yeah and um, sometimes people just like completely miss it they don't have their um they're not really connecting with the roots of all these things i think we're, like we just mentioned off camera that like um, people are categorizing it to the point where they're just putting everything into a this one convenient toy box so they can use the toys how they want and they'll leave out some of the most important and interesting details in a headlong rush to make everything fit this one theory of everything they have and it's a case of like um, oh here's a list of all these interesting things that are happening and they've like listed out um, everything that's like one of the fringe interesting Wendigo stories and then they go it was definitely Bigfoot
1: Really? Yeah, there's a whole lot of that. There's there have been so many incredible like tales of like high strangeness, just bizarre experiences that cryptozoologists seem to immediately just go, "Well, it was tall and it made noises. It was in the woods, right?" I guess it's Bigfoot.
0: You can even remove one or even two steps yeah. from that, and they'll still conclude Bigfoot.
1: That's true. That's true. Because the conclusion I
0: mean, is Bigfoot, and then they look for the story.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's even skipping over decades of cryptozoologists going to other countries and getting like two details about whatever their local folklore is and just writing in the book like another Bigfoot. <laughs> you know, Job just... done, mission accomplished. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, that stuff drives me wild. So tonight what I what I really wanted to focus on was Getting to know you because, you know, we've we've crossed paths the paths a couple of times, but this is re- the first time we've got to sit down and talk. So, i I really just want to learn about you. So, we might as well start at the beginning. Where'd you grow up?
0: Oh, I grew up in a town called Ormskirk. Born in Ormskirk Hospital, grew up in Ormskirk all my life. Only really left. Right on right my 20s? Like Wait, no, I think I left on something like that. But I was born and raised Ormskirk. It's technically West Lancashire, but it's on the just on the edge of the Mersey Rail network. So I was always like Liverpool-situated, always had family in Liverpool, and I'm in Liverpool now. But Ormskirk, um, very strange little um, place. It feels like it's a town made out of spur parts. Left over from everywhere else. So I was on a housing estate, which is government assisted um, semi detached Mm houses. Then, if you go to the edge of um, Scott Estate, it's all farms, except for like an abandoned um, sewage treatment plant that's just down to its foundations. So it just goes completely into nature and wellness, which you don't always get when you're a poor kid. And I spent a lot of time growing up messing around on that abandoned um, water treatment place or playing in ditches or messing around yeah. in farms where I shouldn't, and I even got that, uh, got in trouble over that. But then, you go somewhere else in Ormskirk, and you'll get to, like, Walled Mansion, or you'll get to where all the footballers live, and it's super posh, or you'll wow. get to somewhere that's even sketchier than Scott Estate. You'll get down to um, Halsall, which is more assisted living, but it's like less, uh, more like communal garden. And as you go further and further backwards in Halsall, it starts looking like a trailer park. Okay. Because everyone's just living in the shared courtyard. Yeah. So it's a strange place that's like every possible representation because it is such a patchwork of places that just seem to be
1: leftovers. Interesting. So you were exposed to a lot of different settings as a kid.
0: Yeah, immediately just because it was so strange. I, um, very much like lived... i have saying life so much life. Very much lived <laughs> on the estate and... There was no cinema in the town. Entertainment for me growing up was mostly the local library, and that's probably really my entry point into para-weirdness. I was always into creepy stuff as a kid. My nickname was Spook. So, Luke Spook. And awesome. And the library, I would just devour anything in its little like, uh, paranormal area. Like, so, the kids' library section on its own one. And <clears throat> so, rather than reading fictional horror which I did as well as I got a bit older and I got into reading Stephen King and any um, anthologies of anything you can get hold of because like, you get great variety out of um, anthologies but it wasn't even reading stuff like Goosebumps it was books of ghost stories books of folklore I was reading about black dogs in the uh, children's library when I was a kid and the, all of that stuck with me to the point with when I first started doing all of the podcasting what was really happening there was all of this was resurfacing so a lot of my early interactions and early work was mostly me going huh I remember this thing going to look into it so I was like fresh and open and then going from there it's only been relatively recently that I've really been of my comfort zone and just learning stuff that I completely knew to me
1: yeah that makes sense I think a lot of a lot of us were the kids who gravitated toward the library as kids when you hear someone, for me at least when I hear someone say that, it's like an intra—it's an instant kindred spirit situation, because I was, you know, I grew up in a small town too, and I had, you know, one or two friends, and we were always in the library. Always. So, were any of your family interested in this kind of stuff? Were your parents interested in it at all?
0: Um... Sort of, uh, not to the extent I am. This is a very special fringe case. But uh, my mother—I like, was raised. Uh, my parents divorced, so my dad was always in my life, but it was like every other weekend. And um, but when he divorced, he left some like horror encyclopedias behind. So he was interested, and those were some another early thing I got my uh, grubby paws on. Yeah. And my mother always a big reader, which is how I ended up in the library so much and I was always like reading all sorts of fantasy stuff so the fantasy stuff it's in there books my mum got and read to me when I was a baby was um, The Chronicles of Narnia so I had a set of that and then I grew up and that was there to read when I got there some of the very first stuff I read was uh, Piers Anthony Zanthorps David and Leigh Eddings uh, so I like the Belgariad and everything that spun out of that so it was mostly like skipping the kiddie stuff and going straight into this is fantasy. And I just didn't, it didn't even seem that weird or different to me. It was just, it was there because my mum was always reading it. So I wanted to read and then it went from there. It was like led by example.
1: Yeah. Again, very similar to when, when I was a kid, my mom was really into like horror and thrillers like Dean Koontz and Stephen King. And, um, and I had an older brother who was really into the fantasy stuff, so I had you know, I had the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I had um, C.S. Lewis all that stuff, growing up
0: One absolutely huge one for me was Terry Pratchett Oh yeah, reading Discworld yeah. I, I spent, I grew up reading Discworld and it was probably hugely formative because what Terry Pratchett doesn't get enough credit for was how angry everything made him yeah. and it's not that he was lashing out at the wrong thing because he was a grumpy old man he was angry at injustice he was angry at things being unfair and so much of that was injected into his books, like very very initially, it was just the first two were satire he was sick of lazy fantasy tropes and just wanted to poke holes at it mm-hmm. but then you hit, book three was equal rights and yeah. it was the introduction of Randy Weatherwax and talking about how all wizards are men, how all women are witches, and trying to like break that down a bit, and then uh, it just completely took off from that point. And growing up with that was wonderful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Terry Pratchett was huge too. I still, I still have what, the full Discworld collection on a shelf across the room. I, I go back to you know people. You're right because people think of his satire and he was always funny like even even in his books that were a bit angry he he never stopped being funny but it was the kind of um the kind of humor his humor got a little more biting as the books go on
0: yeah he had something to say and he was damn well going to say it
1: yeah absolutely even later when he did collaborations like when he did good omens when he worked on good omens that, that is some biting humor.
0: Yeah, that, uh, that's that been brought back to a whole new audience thanks to the Amazon adaptation. and We've got a series 2 that Neil Gaiman's looking over, so we're going to see completely new territory. But still, you've got that fundamental dichotomy within it where you have an angel who likes a demon because the demon deep down is secretly a good guy, and the demon likes the angel because deep down the angel is the total bastard. Yeah, <laughs> There's that lovely little <laughs> um, double play there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a great story. It, I mean, I, I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan as well. So the the two of them together is I can't see how they could have missed.
0: It was incredible.
1: Yeah. So you grow up in this um, sort of patchwork community. Where Where did you go from there when you left?
0: Ooh, I left in search of failure. I am a university dropout. So I'm self-taught on most of the academic stuff. But I think that that failure was massively important to me. Uh, First of all, life lessons, life experience. Uh, My main drive is as a writer, specifically a horror writer. But when I first went to university over in York, I had no idea what I was doing in my life. I was meandering and I was just trying to find what I was doing. It's like, I don't know, maybe I'll do this. So I went and did an English literature degree and I bored myself and hated it, which was part of the dropout. But, there was a module for creative writing, and within that module, there was one part of a course on script writing. Now, I like storytelling, and I like writing, but my prose was a bit meh. I suppose I could have worked on it over the years. But as soon as I did that part of the course on script writing, I took to it like a duck to water. It just seemed to flow in the direction my brain could follow easier. And that blew up. And that really put me on a right path. So I go fail there. Go go back to Ormskirt. Try University again at Ormskirt because of University Town. Fail there. Um, I learned such important lessons as always pay your rent or you are getting evicted. All of the good <laughs> things that you really do need for future life lessons. And I could have done so much better if I was just better at life. But I wasn't. I, I came from... Nothing, and I, I knew how to feed myself and a few good things from my mum, but it's very different when you go out on your own in the world, and I just didn't have some of the tools yet, and I found them the hard way, and learning stuff the hard way is just my motto at this point, but I got there. And then, um, it really picks up again, because 2008, I remember 2008 because just the time I first wrote a feature script, and... I was in a house shirt, I dropped out of uni for the final time uh, because that time like, I was bored again and I had a full-time job and rather than doing two full-time things I went with the one that gave me money, turns out I liked earning money so I went that way we were wa- watching an independent movie that felt like it had the location, it had the cinematography, had okay actors but it missed every good opportunity, and it all turned out to be a uh, thriller with loads of false starts to try and hint it was paranormal before, going, and the killer was the dodgy guy who was obviously the killer all along! Like That's not the great reveal you thought it was, mate. And me and my flatmate, well, housemate, it was a house at the time, because it was a shared house. We were just ripping into it. It's like, why couldn't it do this here? Why couldn't it do that there? And I wrote a script around stuff I knew. So, like, that time as a security guard was filled with tragic mission misadventure. Not that anything I do isn't filled with tragic misadventure, that's just my vibe. <laughs> but, um, I wrote a ghost story around a haunted lighter, that if you touch it, it'll see you. And this is actually still a good script, not sold, it's just sitting around there being well-read. All my spec scripts, they're well-received and people like them, but no one's in a position to help make them. But they open doors for me elsewhere, because people then not know I can write. Yeah. And this script, inadvertently, because I picked it up from pop culture, had a lot of um Onryo and Juon elements from Japanese horror stories. So there's Death Curse and this very dangerous haunting and it's all built around a electronics factory that was like three quarters abandoned, one quarter renovated. And I just wrote this script and then got the characters in there. And it felt great, and it's needed a rewrite a little bit over the years to get it back up to spec. Because I, my main method for doing anything is to suck at it for ten years, and then everything will come together.
1: That's foolproof.
0: And yeah, it's so like what, what's really weird about that—that that is the method for everything, even like games I play or whatever. And so, like specifically, I would play Magic: The Gathering. I suck for ten years, go elsewhere, and everyone goes, "Wow, you're so good at this!" And it's like it, it's not natural talent. It's determination and picking yeah. things up on such a large uh, scale that it just sets in
1: with momentum. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you started script writing, did, and you continued to pursue that, right? You're still yep. you're still writing to this day, right?
0: Oh, I am. Um, in Canada right now, a video game I wrote the prototype for. It's scripted and it's being performed over in Canada. And that's for a startup company in Germany working on a horror video game. And so uh, I was brought onto that because the producer and now one of the CEOs of the company for that startup knows me, we network, we talk and they've read my scripts and they like my scripts. So all of it all comes together. Um, You've just got to keep building on it and not let uh, rejection and failure otherwise or just things not going anywhere get you down, just keep building and building and building and stuff like this will pay out so I am writing a video game I have my scripts, I'm working on other things I'm everywhere, it's good stuff
1: Yeah, that's awesome, congratulations Thank you Do you, I know you play video games Um, do you gravitate toward horror games? Oh,
0: absolutely, I played the um, I played Resident Evil when it came out, definitely too young to played it, loved it Played sure. the first Silent Hill when it came out, played Silent Hill 2 when it came out. Like, vi- horror video games were a great part of my childhood. Because I wasn't ever too far behind um, technology f- and theme technology, because my dad did help out with that and made sure I had a Mega Drive, so a, a Genesis on mm-hmm. your side of the world. And then I had a PlayStation relatively close to its launch. So I, you know, I was taken care of and I had my bits to keep myself amused. And I think that was necessary when there was so little to actually do. You had to have the virtual world, and I think it's underrated how important video games are for keeping people's minds going when everything around you is mind-numbing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Did you, you're a Resident Evil fan, did you ever play Dino Crisis?
0: I didn't like Dino Crisis. I think really? I got a
1: bit lost,
0: because like, this was back in the days when internet wasn't that readily available, so I couldn't work out where I was going at one point. So I never really caught on with Dino Crisis, and there's so many huge Dino Crisis fans, especially when I work at, like, I work at PlayStation Studios, the Liverpool um, office, and there's major Dino Crisis fans in there who are all frothing at the bit to get a Dino Crisis remake, like the Resident Evil games that we're getting. And I'm just there going, oh, I didn't really know anything. <laughs> oh man,
1: I'm right there with them. I was a huge Dino Dino Crisis fan. My co-host Ryan was really, really into Resident Evil. He still is to this day. And I swear up and down that Dino Crisis was better (laughs) at the time than the Resident Evil titles of the time.
0: Oh yeah, Resident Evil titles at the time, you had like Resident Evil Survivor to go up against some of the really, really bad spin-offs. So Uh you could stack up some of the like terrible Resident Evil games and go, behold, Dino Crisis holds up better. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Um, no, but Dino Crisis had these, they had jump scares on another level for that time. I mean, like you'd be in a completely silent environment for ten straight minutes, and then a Tyrannosaurus Rex head would burst through a window, yeah. like, without warning. Um, yeah, I loved that game. Wow. Not to get off track on video games, but I, th- I think you made a, a good point, though. Like, they they provide a real service to the player. Right? Especially how many kids are growing up in places where there's just no intellectual stimulation otherwise.
0: Yeah, you're throwing them into dynamic problem solving and like heavy mental agility for reflexes, for planning, and people like to try and blame video games, mostly because anything that's new is different and must be purged. But it's getting very past it now and it's just ingrained in and even something as repetitive and, dare I say, predatory of the players, like um, Fortnite, which is trying to just like sell skins and get kids to buy things, sure. or um, Roblox, which is, again, just trying to get kids addicted and sell them stuff.
1: Hmm.
0: People make of these what they will, and the good will generally outweigh the bad. These virtual worlds give people the chance to experience things that they wouldn't otherwise Not everyone's in a place where they can go paintballing or airsoft with all their friends, but they can pick up Call of Duty. And also, specifically of Call of Duty, I'm quite grumpy about them, it's not really my thing, but the Call of Duty single player campaigns always have a lot of effort put into them. People like getting war stories and all sorts of experiences and being challenged in new ways. And while that's a small part of the Call of duty experience the majority of the Call of duty experience is being sworn out by children on the other side of the world
1: yeah
0: that is there and even the repetitive loop re-engagement multiplayer aspect the meeting other people not all of them are swearing kids some of them are swearing kids who are your friends that are swearing yeah. other people and you'll find more you'll do more you'll be exposed to more and you're being challenged to be... Your mental acuity will be stepped up this way.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, think, I can tell you work in video games. Because, like, you, you've you spent a lot of time thinking about, about games and the value <laughs> of them.
0: I'm pretty immersed, although it's been weird. I used to play so many games just all the time. It was my favorite thing. And it's a busman's holiday now, so I actually don't play games <laughs> that often when I'm at home. So I spent all day... Uh, yelling at a game, demanding it works, and trying to find out what's wrong with it, and I get back, and like, ugh. So, um, <laughs> I worked on God of War Ragnarok. I actually have cool God of War Ragnarok loot that I got from working on it just sat next to me, so I've got, like, a... Um... The listeners won't see this, and it's not something you can hear, but I've got, like, a dev team hoodie and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And here's the game itself. I got a code for this, gave it away... I now own a copy of it. It's still in the cellophane wrapper because I had completed that months before it came out. Even yeah, though it was in a rougher state, and I have to keep going through it again and again. So it's a great game, and I want to see the fully polished final version because I moved off it before the end of that title cycle. Onto the game I'm on now. And if you go on social media, you'll see me going, "I've done another game because it's launch day, so I can brag about it now." And yeah. I was on Horizon Call of the Mountain, a PSVR2 launch title, which is something like. Eighty percent mountain climbing and exploration. Twenty percent screaming, fighting, fire-breathing giant robot dinosaurs in VR. Yeah,
1: that sounds amazing.
0: Must be I, <laughs>
1: yeah, that's so cool. Um, what's weird is I we I also have a friend who was a voice actor and uh, did mocap for that game. Oh, awesome! Yeah. So he was all like, on launch day I think, was that today? Yeah, yeah, launch it was day? Wednesday Yeah, he was all over social media blasting it out and, like, showing some, some of the mocap footage and and all that, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to play it because now I know two people involved in the creation of that game Yeah,
0: yeah the world is world. both giant and small at the same
1: time Yeah, Huge odd.
0: world Small civilization that shares everything.
1: Yeah, he's also from from the UK as Ooh. well. Yeah,
0: you have to come right. stalking online later.
1: Yeah, I'll just <laughs> give him a shout out. James Alexander he is a great voice actor. Great, great voice actor. So,
0: everyone in Call of the Mountain absolutely smashed it.
1: So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. I'm I'm really excited for that one. Okay, so back on track. You're Main focus is folklore, for the most part.
0: Yeah, um, right. I'm a horror writer, and also i very big into folklore. I am, by the, by a loose definition of the world, but I will hold to this, a professional folklorist. I get a monthly payment from doing my research for the Ghost Story Guys podcast and for doing my own little looplore show. And once you've been paid three times or something, that makes you a professional doesn't matter that I don't make enough to make a living. I am still a professional folklorist. Yeah. And I'll, I'll cling to that. But it all infers everything else. So when I came onto the video game and worked on it, I can't say much about it yet. Well, I, I should have talked about it summer. So wait, I will be crowing about it online the second I can. But I've got to be a certain amount of keeping everything secret and staying on top of it. But being a folklorist and being a writer and being so immersed in horror and then doing low budget cinema it all comes together it gives me a huge amount of flexibility and also like knowing video games because I'm writing a video game everything became a factor and an influence and it gave me a level of agility that a person with a very narrow focus would have missed all the other branches that could have gone and it's I've been getting massive amounts of great feedback all the time from it And I do believe I unlocked a new level of imposter syndrome through this. Because obviously your default imposter syndrome is I shouldn't be here. This next level I blundered into is I have done a good job. I now can't live up to that. Oh god, they think I'm great when I'm not, so I'm on this next level imposter syndrome on the back of that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That... You know, some of us are just looking forward to that next level. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's waiting for you, and it's bigger and scarier. <laughs> you'll yeah. be there eventually, and then you'll be beaten up by that next
1: level. <laughs> uh, I'm <clears throat> okay. So, I have uh, a question for me personally, because I, my wife and I have two dogs, and I, like I mentioned before off mic, um. I just have sort of a vague knowledge of of the good people, hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. So, I have an Irish wolfhound and a corgi. And I often see images of both of those breeds associated with with, you know, that brand of folklore.
0: I can see half an upside-down wolfhound in the background on the camera. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. She's asleep. Um, but, I was well, just any... curious um, if you had any, any like, little tidbits about Not their involvement. i off the top of my
0: head, but any um, breed which is native to the British Isles will pick up associations with the folklore that's native to the British Isles. And you say specifically an Irish wolfhound. Mm-hmm. Um, well, again, island. So I'll say, I'll drop the F word so everyone's caught up with fairies. As we were okay. just talking before the show, um, like, you tend to use, like, different names for them. So ASH of the Otherworld, or the Good Neighbors, or the Fur Folk, or a seely White, which means happy and good-natured spirit. And part of that is flattery, because you want them to be on their good side. The other part of it is, like, a gentle bit of appeal-slash-begging. Like, you've, <laughs> you've met a stranger of the other world on the path. They can do anything to you within their own framework of rules, and if you don't know those rules, you can give them all the power. They can steal your face, your eyes, your name. Anything can happen. So the first thing you do is say, hello, good neighbor, and you hope that they go, yeah, we'll be a good neighbor. That was nice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just inspire them with a compliment.
0: Yeah, you're trying to like, lead them, like, gently lead them down that path as an appeal to please be a good neighbour. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's almost like coming across a little kid who has a rock in their hand cocked back at you. <laughs> like you don't you you gotta be nice to get them to put it down.
0: Yeah. We're at the fawning stage. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because the five F's when you're in danger are fight, fight flight freeze fawn faint. And your default if you want to get past the good neighbours is fawn. Got it. Fainting might help as well. You might be boring if you're unconscious. <laughs> but if you run, it's a game. If you fight, it's a game. <laughs> yeah. If you freeze, you can't get away. So <laughs> yeah.
1: Fawn or faint.
0: Yeah, Got they're it. two of the best options.
1: So you recently went to, um, to a convention. Yeah. A or a, no, a film festival. That's what it was. You recently went to a film festival. And you said you had uh, quite a, an experience over oh.
0: there. Okay, yeah, let's put the film stuff aside. We might want to do it later. We might do another episode. There's lots of film stuff going on. But let's just skip to the terrifying part. So yeah. I've never, I, I am a poor kid. I've never left the country. It's my first time going anywhere else, and I go to California for this event. It was a huge opportunity, and it was a great thing. So come find me on social media and get the whole story. It was great stuff. But specifically to this... I'm at the border control agent, and they're doing the "Oh, what are you here for? Where are you staying?" and it's manipulative. They're trying to get you to trip up and give away something you shouldn't. But I'm just conversational. I might be bantering, and I say, "Oh, I'm what I'm here for." It's like that's really interesting. But uh, where are you staying? Is like, "Oh, I'm staying at a hotel on International Boulevard in Oakland The agent immediately laughs in my face. So that's the first. That's the first strike here. I know that something's amiss. So I get wish good luck, and I'm on the BART train, and then I'm on the uh, 1T bus, and we get down to International Boulevard. And I'm Googling, trying to go, like, work out if I'm safe or not. And it says, oh, Oakland's fine in the daytime. It's already, like, the sun's going down. And (laughs) just, like, stay out of west or east Oakland. I pass through west Oakland on the way to east Oakland. And so (laughs) I do have a brief stop, like a changeover from the BART train to the um, bus, in central uh, down, uh, ta- Oakland town. That was quite pretty, that was nice.
1: But oh, yeah, downtown Oakland is gorgeous.
0: Extra local colour here. I, I'm
1: getting authentic Oakland.
0: And no one bothers me as such, but it was all kicking off on the bus and all sorts. Oh, I go the wrong direction on the bus at first, so we going all the way to where we supposed to go. I go two stops and get thrown out outside a strip club. So <laughs> then cross the road, get on the bus, go back up the right way. Um... <laughs> So we get to International Boulevard. International Boulevard being the red light district of Oakland. So I'm... I'm where um, all the prostitutes are doing their uh, work. And sex work is work and all that, but generally you don't want to be hanging around casually in the red light um, district. Absolutely. You want to be there in the daytime when it's just like businesses and cool stuff. Or... Like, you don't want to be messing with... um, all the people that, like, gather around such an area. Yeah. I'm there. Uh, (laughs) This... Hotel, International Casa, is um, only across the road from the bus stop. It's really easy to get to. So I go, okay, this this could still be fine. As I go towards it, there's a Christian mission there of a big, backlit, huge billboard, and it has four words on it. Prepare to meet Jesus. So, that feels like a threat. <laughs> <laughs> Especially contextually. It's like, say your prayers, and yeah. not <laughs> so, like, it's your last chance go around the corner and it's what can be best described as a sketchy murder hovel. I think those are the exact three words I could use to give it the most impact. And it's... yeah, I mean, it's got like... It's looks like secure-ish. It's got CCTV cameras and all that. But my booking says get the after half five to book in. The broken window of this staff area that has boarded up and has a paper note pinned to it says only book in midday to four if you want someone to come out after dark to book you in, you have to ring a number and then pay them extra to come there after dark. Wow. <laughs> so, I ring my friends who are a really nice um, like executive in Oakland. It's on like a nice side of them oakland that's just going towards alameda which is a beautiful yeah. small town I was like are there any available rooms where you are and like i didn't even take photos of this great thing it's just an anecdote now i probably should have grabbed photos but yeah. i didn't unlock two tours so i already had my baggages when I'd be, I'd be waving a phone around in the middle of the red light district after dark so yeah. i end up going there and i get a free upgrade to an awesome room but oh it's not quite the end of the story either so you heard the phrase wrong side of the tracks." yes I walk from where I... uh, I get the T1 again to, like, vaguely where I need to be, and I walk the rest of the way. I've got to walk over an overpass. On this Oakland side of the overpass, there's someone who's clearly tweaking out from um, either drugs or the lack therein of, next to a homeless encampment where they're burning things to keep warm. And I Uh walk over the overpass, and I'm in a beautiful, like, this near Alameda touristy area that's, like, just on the... um, Estuary, like I ever had my upgraded room, had a um, balcony over it, and it was beautiful. So it's like you walk over that overpass and you cross over worlds.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the most California thing I've ever heard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I had an experience, and I always blunder through misadventure. It's great fuel for all my writing.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Man, that's a great and terrifying story.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Great to regale, less great to live.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Man, this was a lot of fun. I absolutely. It's I, I want to have you back to to talk about some like specific topics in the future, absolutely. Um I'd love to like get your take on some folklore down the line. Um or some I'd love to talk to you about the sort of the transfer of folklore as people have like spread across the globe.
0: Oh, that is fascinating. I love stuff like that. Um all sorts happens, especially with like the heavy immigration to the new world. Yeah. There's a lot going on there.
1: Yeah. I'm particularly personally fascinated with the the comparison of the Black Dog myth and the Ozark Howler. Ooh, if America. I look at the
0: Ozark Howler a lot of what happened when it went to the New World was that the Black Dogs became Hellhound mythology, but the Black Dogs still hung in there, whereas it you come over into uh, Britain, every region has got its own different Black Dog there's even some regions that fight over a Black Dog, because um, Lancashire and Yorkshire are always at each other's throats and they squabble over who owns Padfoot, and there's all kinds of cool stuff like that and they've yeah. got Church Grims, which aren't quite Black Dogs, they are a spectral hound that is black but a black dog is more of a um, furry thing. I, I'm going to yeah, use the F word again material. at my own expense here. But um, They're more otherworldly than anything else. Gotcha. Whereas a church grim is specifically uh, folklore about guarding graveyards and burying a dog there before you bury any humans. Do you want a quick rundown of the church grim? Do you know this one? Sure.
1: Yeah. No, okay. I'm, I'm not familiar with it. It's more what ghostly. Before,
0: this is like something. Like, like We're talking pre-Christian. This is old magic. The idea is that when you first establish a graveyard, the very first person buried there is then doomed, and I like doomed in the word that the idea that this is fated, and rather than it's a bad end, to then guard over it, the first person there then watches over it. So what they would do is they would bury a dog there as the first person interred in the graveyard, and then that dog would then guard over the graveyard going
1: forwards. And that would become the church grim. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'm, it's definitely not a black dog, right? You're right. Yeah. It's the story is very different and definitely more ghostly than you know otherworldly. Yeah, um, yeah, it's like that's a guardian awesome. spirit thing. Yeah, very cool. See, I'm, I definitely have to have you back. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh.
0: I come armed with so much black dog folklore. I've got some great stuff to share with you, including like the uh, the more shapeshifty ones. So there's like they can some of them can take on different forms. So Padfoot can also appear as like a sh- black sheep, but then we've got one that's more native to me in Lancashire. It can appear as a cow, and if okay. you see this black cow, it's a immediate warning of terrible doom. <laughs> so we've got a cow of doom as one of these black <laughs> dog stories wonderful stuff.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, I had I a to great time. give
0: a story of how we got into podcasting. Yeah. We'll cap yeah. off, like, because we've been through a few stages. We've been Luke the Spook Child in the library. We've been evicted at university and discover script writing. Let's get to, like, on topic, get the
1: podcasting. Yeah, how did you get into podcasting?
0: I first started working at PlayStation Studios, and I was on the late shift, but I didn't live in Liverpool yet, so I was commuting from my mum's, like, something else had gone wrong, I lost everything again, go me. Like, on three separate occasions I lost everything in my life, and I think we've been over two of them now. (laughs) Oh wait, no, we've been over three of them, because that house share was just before another disaster, so we've hit every major down point of my life. So I was at my mother's, and I was commuting to Liverpool, and my shift would end at midnight, and the last train was 10 to midnight. So I had to stay in Liverpool until the first train started about 6am. And so I got a Overnight Gym subscription, cause that's a good place to lurk. And I was li- started listening to podcasts. And I started listening to a... Um, I wanted Ghost Stories, so I found looked for it, and I found the Ghost Story Guys podcast. And they'd only done like a few episodes at this point. And the fourth episode, I think it was, was on the Wendigo. I love Wendigo folklore. That's something I found early and young. I was working on a game called The Inpatient, which is a VR prequel to Until Dawn. So the Wendigo was there. And I've yeah. been doing, like, Wendigo fact of the day to amuse my co-workers, and I kept that going for a while. And I got in touch, and I emailed them I was like, oh, I'm here, I'm doing this, I love your show, I, here's some Wendigo stuff that you didn't mention you might not know, and I gave them a huge amount of weird Wendigo stuff that's basically my very first loophole podcast, Now, was putting that all together. And so that's all there if you want to go find out some other tidbits about Wendigo folklore from across the Americas, because it's quite a widespread um, myth with a lot of variations. Yeah. And they go, oh yeah, that's cool, let me chat. And then they ask me about black dogs, so I give them a load of black dog info. They do the ill-fated first foray into talking about the good neighbours, and I give them a load of information about why that was a terrible idea. And we have this back and forth going. And they ask, like, can you help out with this? Can you you give us something like this? And I start doing, yeah, I'll do that, that sounds great. And I start doing research for them. And then I come on full-time, and I'm the researcher regular going forwards, and I still am now, although, like, a lot of the time now, like, my attention will be split, I'll do a lot more Luke lore, but any time uh, some weird topic comes up, it's like, the latest one was, Luke, can you find me stories about horses? <laughs> and now, so, like, I went on I did a deep, uh, an internet scrape getting loads of, like, ghost horses, or st- ghost stories where horses are disturbed, and some stuff with toy horses and all sorts, like, there you go, there's all your stuff. And then yeah. so he's ready to build an episode out of that. And then, like, so I did it for a while, and we, like, we, we did a Patreon for the Ghost Story guys, and we're trying to work out what can we do to add value, and we go, well, I can do a little folklore show, and that's how Luke Lore came about, and that was just, like, a Patreon show for a while, that would then, like, after a time release, end up in the public, and now Luke Law is its own thing, to the point yeah. where the very first Luke Lore episode, the one on the Wendigo, now, that would be one segment out of three or four on a bigger full show, so it's really much shorter. So you can see me finding my feet just going, this is cool stuff, this is cool stuff, this is cool stuff. Yeah. You'll get, like, my second episode was the Beast of Jevodan, so, like, like a, the pro, one of the big progenitor folklore stories of werewolves as we see them now, because you always had, like, the big bad wolf and stuff and other wolf stories, but this is where, like, you get the vulnerability to silver, which mm-hmm. is actually something that I need to elaborate more on another, on another episode somewhere because there was extra steps to this, but this is, that, that's, like, the first story it came from. And then you get to much later where I do uh, the wide, wide world of werewolves and there's like loads of werewolves over in that section. So you can see my evolution. I I find my feet quite fast and there's still loads of entertaining stuff in the early episodes. But it's all a huge process. And then, this I've been researching for years now with the Ghost Story Guys. I'm researching on TV shows. I'm researching for someone else's horror movie. I am building up quite a great reputation as a researcher. Which isn't bad for a university dropout who started with nothing, raised by a single mom on a council estate.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. I'm. I love the Luke Lore show. I haven't. I haven't heard the Ghost Story guys. Um, that's on. That's been on my to listen list for a while. But Luke Lore is awesome. I, I go back to it a lot. So. Thank you.
0: I've got an odd niche that seems to be coming out quite well, because um, round table shows, the hour-long podcasts, and they're on the same topics, but you get different deliveries, you get different shows, and then there's me poddling around at um, 15 to 20 minutes, and it's like, okay, just the stories. Go! And it's it's got its own little um, tempo, and its own little niche within the niche.
1: Yeah, I, it's one of those shows that, because I listen to a lot of the longer-form ones, but Luke Lore is great to, like, just put on the earbuds and and put on an episode while I'm just like washing up some dishes after dinner you know what I mean it's just like a quick 15 to 25 minutes whatever it is it's and you get a ton of information in in a small bit of time and you're a funny guy like you like it's always very like you you get a lot of academic points but like your personality is not lacking in there it's it's definitely you
0: yeah, um, I think it was the pre show we mentioned that I grew up on Terry Pratchett. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like kind of uh, the vibe I would love to shoot for is to be giving all of this information, all of the deep lore, and also putting a bit of topspin on it to keep it witty and moving.
1: Yeah. Just those like dark little barbs along the way. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, before we go. Could you let the audience know where to find you, where to follow you, anything exciting you have coming up that you want them to check out?
0: Oh, this let's keep this um, elegant, shall we say, because I could just go on and on and on, and we'd be here for another 45 minutes. So, Luke Law, you can find it everywhere. Um, when I first came up with it, it was just for the patrons of the Ghost Story guys, and they knew I was Luke, so I was like, oh, this is fine. Then it escapes into the wider world, and I'm going... Oh, God, is this just too pretentious? No, it's, it's really good and searchable. It's really it helps me stand out, so I'll just... Yeah, fine, it's looplaw. Law. Find me anywhere you listen to the podcast. You can go to looplaw.com. That'll give you the um, everything you need there. It also has all of the scripts and transcriptions for the show, so it's much easier to skim over. Um... um, Ghoststoryguys.com If you want to go look up the Ghost Story Guys Get your roundtable discussion Loads of deep stuff And I will research some incredibly weird stories We'll go over this on a future episode And I'll go over my top disturbing stories I've blundered into Um, You can find me on Facebook On Twitter, on Instagram There where I'm most active All under my own name I think like Instagram is... Uh, Scary Bits, Luke Greensmith, or Luke Greensmith, Scary Bits, something like that. So it's just like a little bit of spin there, but if you look for Luke Greensmith, you'll either find a chef in France who somehow gets above me in SEO sometimes, (laughs) or you'll find me. It's easy to tell apart. One is the horror maniac, and one is a chef in France.
1: Excellent. Also, if you want to find links to all that, you can just go in the show notes, and we'll have them all there as well. So definitely follow Luke and keep track of what he's up to because he's a very busy guy and his exciting stuff is coming out all the time.
0: Some may say too busy like me (laughs) when I don't sleep enough.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thanks again for doing this man. Absolutely wonderful to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. rate and review it it's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling and a special thanks to greg martin at reverent music on instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief you can find more of his tunes at reverbnation.com reverent it's fantastic fantastic stuff go give that a listen and that's it until next time i'm ryan i'm jordan And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown.